To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So today on the podcast, I have back on my friend Dylan Ness. So Dylan Ness is a Montana native, and I met Dylan a couple years ago, and we've been friends ever since. The guy's just an absolute go-getter. Uh, so some background on him, you know, he, he played basketball, baseball in high school, and then went on to play collegiate ball, uh, baseball uh, at the college level. Uh, so the guy's an athlete, he's an absolute go-getter, and he's just got such a smart approach to his bow hunting. Um, he's a student of the game, and he's just a, a great human being, and I'm just proud to call this guy my friend, and really psyched to get him back on the podcast. Uh, he had an epic season with his bow in his hands. Uh, man, I mean, um, we hunted late season mule deer, uh, we had a great trip and some close calls, and then Dylan ended up connecting on a real good late season buck. Uh, he killed a, a giant antelope. He's really good at hunting antelope with his bow and then his best bull to date this year with his bow and arrow. Uh, so we talk about that and we had, uh, communicated during September during the elk hunt or whatever. So just fun to get him on the podcast and share some stories and, and share some insight in what it takes to, to be proficient and consistently successful on this public ground. So we'll get right into it. I just want to thank one of my sponsors. I want to thank Everly Stock. Uh, so Everly Stock this year has given me some packs to give away on the podcast. Uh, they're just a great company. And so uh, I called up Dylan. We'll jump into that call now. So he helped me do this promotion as he used Everly Stock. And then I also get him a new pack from this Vapor Series. So here we go. Plug in this call. All right, I got Dylan on the line. Uh, this week's podcast is with Dylan Ness, and it's a really good one. Uh, but yeah, Dylan, releasing our podcast here, and I just wanted to get you on the line to talk Everly Stock real quick. Yeah, no, that sounds good, Brian. That uh, Yeah, for, this was that first year with you that I got a chance to use one. Yeah, so we got to do that backpack trip, which we talk about in the podcast, and you used the Everly Stock Little Big Top on that trip. Yeah, yeah, such a killer pack too. It uh, it was perfect for uh, shoot that two three day rip that we did, and uh, I really really like that how it rolled down kind of like a dry bag, and then uh, yeah, kind of stuff stuff sack style, but had that zipper on the front to where if we needed something real quick, like stop for a coffee or something, unzip it and pull out the jet boil, and yeah, yeah, it was awesome pack and just fit unreal. Uh, we definitely had a few cups of coffee on that trip. It seems like that's what keeps a guy alive on those trips. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. But, uh, yeah, it was just, it, you know, the other packs that I've used, they were never as accessible as uh, that little big top that I used that you, well, that you let me borrow. Uh, but, uh, yeah, yeah, no, the uh, the access was pretty awesome. Cool. Well, I've got their brand new bag coming from you for you. Uh, they gave me a few to give away on the podcast, and uh, I wanted my first trial run to be with you. So um, what they came up with, it's called their Vapor Series. And so they have it on their 
a really popular frame, and so their frame is called the main frame. It packs the weight really well, great waist belt, uh, great shoulder straps, and great design. It's real rigid. Uh, it's got great lifters. And then what goes on that main frame, they've got three different bags in their Vapor series. So they've got their 2,500 cubic inch, their 5,000 cubic inch, and their 7,500. So I've got you coming a main frame with the 5,000 cubic inch bag. And it's so killer, man. It zips right to that mainframe, and then it's got three straps on either side that click into it. And there's also space in between the bag and the frame to carry meat. So when you kill your big buck, you can stick them on there. Oh, dude, that's so killer. Thank you. No, that's so sweet. That's exactly what you and I were talking about, too, when we were out there this fall was that little big top. It was like if we killed one way back there, we would have had to shuttle some gear around. But being able to detach that and stick some meat in, in next to the frame and have the back, bag on the outside, that's going to be oh, that's going to be a game changer. That's so sweet. Oh, it is going to be a game changer. So uh, I'll get your address after we're done. We'll get you one sent out. And then, um, yeah, maybe we'll get you back on the podcast and see what you think. But I think it's going to be an awesome bag and an awesome design that they've evolved for, you know, us backcountry hunters. So, yeah, uh, thanks for being my guinea pig on this deal. And also for my listeners, you can get 20% off of Everly stock. And these Vapor Series are going to be released in February and March. They're going to be available. It's going to be a great pack. And if you put in the code, all capitals, the grid 20 uh, in an Everly stock at checkout, that'll get you 20% out. So uh, 20% off. So thanks a bunch, Dylan, for jumping on the call. And thanks a bunch for the podcast, man. It's a great one. I'm super excited to release it. Yeah, Brian. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. We'll talk soon. Oh, that fishing trip tomorrow is going to be fun. <laughs> Can't wait, man. Right on. All right. We'll talk soon. All right, guys, we'll get right into this podcast. I just want to thank Eastman's for all their support, everything I do here. Uh, I really enjoy writing for the magazines, Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal, Eastman's Hunting Journal. They have the members research section in the back, which really helps me get a good feel for all these states, the hunts they offer, and opportunities that are out there. Uh, so make sure to check out that. See, I just wrote a new article. Uh, it's on uh, Next Level E-Scouting. So a great article that's in the Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal. Uh, also check out our Eastman's Hunting TV on the Outdoor Channel, and check out Eastman's Hunting TV on YouTube. Uh, so we just had that film that uh, released uh, about open country mule deer that I filmed. Um, so I'm really proud at the way that one came out, and I've got a couple new ones that I'm so excited to release to you guys. So that adventure hunt, uh, my first hunt of the year for velvet muleys. Uh, it's in the high country. It's all backpacking. It's going to make a really cool film. Uh, I have that one, and I also have one uh, with the late season. So hunting with my buddy Dan Heverin, hunting with Dylan Ness that's on this podcast, and you'll hear us kind of talk about it a little bit. Um, Dylan ended up arrowing a really nice buck on film. So did Dan. So I can't wait to, to see that film all edited down and released to you guys as well. So be on the lookout for those and, uh, really appreciate your guys' support. Let's get into this podcast. Dylan Ness, Eastman's Elevated, and I'm your host, Brian Barney. Here we go. Okay. I'm here with my buddy, Dylan Ness. Um, Dylan, heck of a season, man. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks, Brian. You too. No, it was a it was a good one. 
man. Um, well, yeah, you just finished up uh, your your mule deer rut hunt with your bow, able to arrow like a really nice buck. Um, congratulations, man! You've had a good mule deer season. Yeah, it was uh, it was a fun one. It was uh, like we talked about it. Been shoot six years since I've had a mule deer tag this late, and I've never got to experience the rut with my bow in hand. And uh, it was it was totally worth it. Uh, yeah, no, I, I'm not putting down the bow was was the best decision I've made in a long time. Yeah, uh, good on you. I was so impressed when you told me that. Like we had visited right after elk season, and you arrowed a, another giant bull, and then we had talked, and you said, "I'm not, I'm not putting down the bow." You said, "I'm committing to it. I'm gonna kill a muley with my bow during the rut." I was just so impressed by, like, um, uh, it. It's so tough, man. It's tough out there with a the rifle. It's public land hunting, and and to set your sights on using your bow, like what, uh. What factored in to make make your decision to to use your bow during the rut? You know, uh, gosh, the amount of time that I've just spent over the past year kind of refining um, my craft, you know, just shooting the bow. I mean, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of arrows. It just didn't it just didn't feel right to put it down. And it's like I absolutely love being in like you always say being a bow hunter's mindset and it's like i just didn't want to change i didn't want to i didn't want it was nothing to do with i didn't want to shoot with rifle or whatnot but it's like i finally have just made the decision that you know i'm a bow hunter and i love getting close i love the patience and uh i just didn't want to put it down i mean i love there's nothing better than running an arrow through a big old critter and there's just it's tough. I it's it's tough for me to describe, but you know the challenge, the experience, just everything. But for me, I think mainly it's like I put in so much time in the off season and throughout the summer and just live, breathe, eat bow hunting and shoot my bow. It's like I just I just didn't want to put it down. Yeah, good on you. Well, and and um, you know it's like I I really enjoyed rifle hunting and rifle hunting gave me a lot of the skills that I use you know, today, like this late season hunting uh, rifle bulls in the cold weather or late season even hunting rutting muleys. But eventually I got to a point where, um, you know, it, it was like a, a, just a, a greater challenge, like to, to be able to set off with my bow and then hunt them. And then once I did it, I really got hooked on it. And, and it's not that it's right for everybody. I think everybody's got to make their own progression and make their own decisions. And like, uh, I have nothing against rifle hunting and hunt with my family and my daughters. And it, it gives you an extra range. And, and those mule deer bucks can be tough to find. But when you bow hunt, you, you almost have to take your hunting to the next level. You know, you, you know, the game doesn't end at 200 yards. It's just beginning. And also, like you have to you have to figure out more and better spots to hunt because you need to create more opportunities. You need to create stocks to be able to get it done. And then once you do it, you find out that it's the most thrilling hunting on planet Earth. Like it isn't it like hunting bulls or what? Hunting bucks during the rut and with your bow and getting close and seeing those nuances of the rut of posturing and fighting and and rutting does around and um man it is just amazing out there isn't it oh that's exactly it and it's the experience that i got to have this year that i've never had before i mean just being around all them rutting bucks and being so close and it's just uh 
yeah, it, it was one of those deals where it's like, I am in them. And it, it's exactly like hunting elk in the rut. And I've never got to experience that on the deer side. And, oh, my gosh, it, it, I didn't feel like I was at any disadvantage or anything out there packing on my bow. In fact, I felt like wearing that orange and carrying around my bow, that orange, I always, you know, back when you used to rifle hunt, you're always complaining about, oh, I got to wear orange, blah, 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 blah. Well, carrying around the bow, I felt like it was a badge of honor. Like, I was stoked to be wearing it and have my bow in hand. But, yeah, those those bucks is just like, you know, trying to cut them off or put them to bed. And it was like that deer that I ended up getting on, you know, he had nine does and I played it just like I'd play any rut elk hunt, you know, and uh, it was cool to see the same sort of techniques and, uh, you know, in the stock, the nuances of the stock, like materialize the same way as they would have with an elk. It was just so cool. Man, that is really cool. Yeah, it's it's like this uh, aggressive style of hunting where you got to really seize opportunities when you see these bucks or get a chance at them. But but also like taking what they give you. Like I think you sat on your buck for quite a while and watched him rut because he wasn't in the the right spot for your bow, right? Yeah, yeah, no, sat on him all afternoon, and uh, you know it was kind of cool because I'd been hunting. You know, I packed into some deeper stuff that week. And, you know, they didn't see the deer numbers I wanted to see. So, you know, we came out and then it was like, okay, I'm on Onyx looking at uh, little pieces of public, this, that, and the other stuff. And it was like, I finally found just some little stuff, but I sat on him for three hours that afternoon. And I mean, he was just barely on some state and it was like, I have to make this perfect. I have to make this work because if I don't, you know, he's going to blow out and he's going to go into some ground that I can't hunt. And there was just too many eyes around and he just wasn't in the spot. So I just sat there and I was like, if I am patient, I know I, I had a, I had a good idea that he was going to work out into this big sage flat. And it was like, you just have to stay in that bow hunter's mindset and let, let everything materialize. And, uh, Oh it, yeah, it played out perfect, but it's just, that would never would have happened for me. Um, if I would have been carrying a rifle, you know, because I would have, I was 270 yards away from him, you know, and it was like, it, the, the deal would have been done. Uh, but with the bow, it, the game hadn't even begun yet. You know, it's so cool. It's, um, it's like I, you know, I haven't been bungee jumping or jumped out of a plane, but the adrenaline rush I get, like when I get to, you know, you get a dose of adrenaline when you spot a muley buck, and then when you see a good buck, and then when you get a chance and and getting in close, and then, you know, those those moves are so thrilling and tight. And you mentioned the orange, like the orange doesn't seem to take away from any of it. Like uh, like you say, it doesn't bother me a bit. Mule deer and, and ungulate species, they really pick up on movement and see it. And it's 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 almost like it's wild because it's almost like, you, like you're wearing camo. It's like they just – they only pick up your movement or see you if you're silhouetted or left out. But it, it, it's not like you pop on the hillside or like these deer see you. Like you're able to get in and they'll move around you, which is exactly what you did. And then that, that buck ended up moving right into you from like the story you told me, right? And you were in orange crouched down in the grass in a good spot. And he never did see you until you released an arrow, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so once I finally once – once it was time to make a move, um, he started pushing his does up and uh, – we kind of got down in this bottom and I started working through and, uh, it was pretty open. You know, it was like dough on the skyline had to hold up and wait and, you know, frozen like a statue. Like you said, as long as you didn't move, they didn't see you. And, uh, 
finally got up there and doze everywhere and got up on the embankment and just huddled in in some sagebrush right off of a cattle trail, you know, game trail, cattle trail, whatever it was. And, uh, yeah, he just started pushing does, pushing does, pushing does. And he was out of range, but we were inside of, you know, 100, 120. And uh, I was just like, I just, if I'm patient, and that's, this is where it felt like the elk cutting part of it. I was like, if I'm patient and don't rush anything, don't force anything, he is going to push a doe down this trail and he's going to get inside a bow range. And uh, that's exactly what happened. He just, you know, pushed some does over and around. And finally he found one doe that I think was probably hot or getting close to it. And he pushed her down and she jumped uh, the old, it was just an old fence. It was no marker, you know, of property one way or the other. It was just on this embankment, just old tattered thing. And she jumps it. And, uh, so I have a range. And so I come to full draw cause I think he's going to come across the trail and just follow right behind her. And I was going to have to stop him and, and let it rip. But <laughs> he, he continued to sent tr- check this trail all the way to 20 yards. And so, I mean, I was at full draw. I was counting his steps one at a time because as soon as I came to full draw, I was like, well, this is a point of no return. Like I'm, I'm got, I got to stay here. And, uh, yeah, counted his steps down. I got to 35 and he kept coming and I was like, uh, well, if this is going to be a top 10 deal and yeah, I don't, I never actually ranged the spot, but he was, you know, 20, 19, 20 yards. When I finally let the arrow go, it was, it was the, greatest deer experience i've ever been a part of i mean if if he wouldn't have picked his head up he would have walked right over the top of me (laughs) dude so (laughs) thrilling (laughs) hard about beats out of your chest yeah like that (laughs) is so cool um yeah way to play the stock and play that right you talked about that doe you know on the skyline and freezing and and having her not pick you up like so much of that game is won and lost about seeing them first and you glass them up from the vantage point but then when you make a stock it's like you always have to lose sight of where all the deer are and then like it's so important that you know that that skyline approach or that approach to those deer that next point where you're going to come over and you're going to come into close contact with those deer and you have to see them before they see you like it it's really about um looking in your peripheral like really looking side to side and you know in case those deer moved or a different deer and, and then really slowing down your pace on that on that final uh a leg of the stock and it's so easy to blow it and blow your opportunity and move too quick or don't catch a deer to the side. All of a sudden they got you and the whole situation blows up. But, you know, it's these scenarios like playing them out over and over. You know, you talked about keeping in a bow hunter's mindset, but but how much do these sharpen the skills in November? It's like adding a whole nother season, you know, and, and you get these encounters and these plays and these stocks and these chances to try to get it right and and you know it doesn't always go our way those deer are pretty good you know with their instincts or whatever but just this chance to play the game throughout november with the rut and we're so fortunate they allow us to hunt with a bow during rifle season and i really take that you know that's really special to me and so you know i try to just do right by the rules and you know wearing my orange and um and, and then try to do right by the the species and ethically and taking good shots and things 
Um, but man, what a privilege to be able to take our bows and have this kind of excitement during November with our, you know, with our resident tags in our pocket, man. It, it's such an awesome opportunity, isn't it? Oh, it is. It totally is. And, and and like you're saying, it was like having an extra season, you know what I mean? And sharpening everything. I mean, because usually this time of year, when I used to rifle hunt, it was like, I've got, I came all the way, I was climbing the mountain, you know, get down with elk, antelope, all that. And then it was like, I would always put my bow down. And then you kind of, if you, if you're not sharpening your skills, you know, I feel like you're kind of losing them. And it just felt like I just got sharper and sharper and sharper. I mean, from, from day one, when you and I went out early, you know, moving slow, I mean, shoot, you and I didn't, I don't think you and I bumped a deer that whole trip. And I mean, we walked miles upon miles and I don't think we ever bumped a deer. And it was just like, you know, with your bow, you can't afford to be lazy and having the opportunity to, to bow hunt the rut and all that. I mean, yes, it is the rut, but it's still, you got to get inside a bow range and, it just continually sharpened uh, every spot and stock, glass, and every tool in the tool chest. And it was just, it's pretty special. I mean, I cannot believe it's taken me this long to uh, put down my rifle and pick up my bow because, oh my goodness, it's just, it blows my mind. It it, it really is a special opportunity. I mean, I, I, can't, uh, I can't imagine going forward and not... Uh, hunting with my bow during the rut here in Montana. Oh, it, it's it's so thrilling, man. We had a good early trip, didn't we? Man, I had so much fun during that trip. So we connected, and um, I talked about it a little bit in the solo podcast I just released. But um, yeah, we did a backpacking trip together where we hooked up beginning of November. I, I think we were actually. Prior to pre-rut, I have seen good rut action that weekend, but we didn't see much rut action. But what a great trip, huh? That was fun. Oh, that was so killer. Yeah, that was a ton of fun, and and we just played. I mean, we had to we had to adapt to a lot of different things, but yeah, it was it was just so much fun. I mean, we covered a ton of country, and even though I, we were, you know, for some reason this year the rut seemed to be a little bit later, um, but we didn't have any problem picking out bucks, and it was just one after the other after the other and then we finally you know and that's that's the difference between you know gun hunting and bow hunting is just like we had to work so hard for each of us to just get one chance you know and it didn't work out but we you know whether it was the elk or six six deer in the coulee with the other buck whatever but it was like we worked so hard for those one chances and it was like you know we're milliseconds away from it to materializing but uh yeah that was that was a dynamite trip it's also fun to be able to to um, really, you know, try for these older age class bucks and the, the the bigger bodies and really trying to shoot deer on age. But we passed up some really good bucks during that trip that were susceptible to a stock, you know, and uh, just looking for that next that next age class. Uh, it seems like those those mature muleys like that that get to be, you know, even four, but those five, six, seven. Those things are just specimens, just the the big bulky bodies on them, giant necks, and then you know chocolate antlers. There's there's just something that gets me really excited about those bucks, and um, you know not that you know any any mule deer with a bow or a rifle is a is a good buck, but it's so fun to start to target those older age class, and and even if he doesn't score real well, you know he's older and heavy and palmated, and um, gosh, I love targeting those bucks as I know you do too. But you passed up some really good bucks on that trip. I mean, there was some 
good opportunities on three points and then that four point that we snuck into a couple hundred yards on that that first one um man we we saw a lot of bucks that trip yeah we did see a lot of bucks and we definitely saw well and that's the one thing too is like you know we had to pass or you know and i passed you passed those you know they just weren't to the age class of deer that we wanted them to be. I mean, we, I, I tried talking myself into the one 10 times over, but it was like when we finally got up there and took a look at him, it was just like, he's just not quite there yet, you know? And it, I mean, he was a great buck. I mean, shoot, he was a great buck, but it was like, if we would have, say we would have punched his ticket right there, we would have never got into those older, older age class deer that we finally got into. Now we had to put on miles after miles after that deal. But, uh, I just love the challenge and matching wits with the, you know, with the older age class animals out there. I mean, all of them. And it's just like elk hunting. It's like, I just want to match wits with the most mature, the, the, the elk or the deer that's seen it all, you know, that's been on the landscape for, you know, five, six, seven, you know, in case of elk, nine, 10 years, it's like, there is nothing more rewarding than getting into bow range of those type animals and nothing against like you know that was a great deer i mean shoot that one that you and i stocked up to and i, I asked you you know what do you think is is he what we think he is from back there and it's like you know i mean he was probably three and a half ish i would assume maybe three and a half four and a half i mean i'm not a biologist but that's just kind of how he looked but yeah i just love matching wits with the oldest critters out there yeah it's fun um yeah, they're like a they're like a different species as they get older. Um, you know, I love targeting those ones. But yeah, you held up out on some really good bucks, and man, we chased a couple good ones. We finally did find some of those older age class, and they were just like you said, they weren't rutting yet. They even they they weren't even running on their own or solo. They were running in bachelor crews, and so that's just where those bucks live and grow up. But the the miles was the cool thing. Being able to travel with our camp on our back go super light, hunt with our packs on, and just be hunting all day long in November. There's just nonstop action, you know? And then we'd set up the teepee wherever we en- we'd end up, and we just kept traveling and moving our tent. And it was it's wild how far you can walk, isn't it? Like even <laughs> doing 10 to 15 miles a day or whatever we averaged – like it's wild how far you can make it from the truck and you know how far you can get a deer back that's the nice thing about deer is they're not quite as big as an elk and with two guys you can get a deer out of anywhere but really relying upon our fitness and then in that late season you know i I think you know we caught some pretty good weather but the majority of times you know you got to have you got to have a a stove or a warm tent like you can hardly survive next to a fire and so like that setup and moving with our packs on our backs uh, just works so well, and I really believe, like, there are so many of these locations that sit around that you can hike back into that these day hunters are never even getting into, where you can find your own ecosystem that where there is no human hunting pressure, there is no rifle pressure, and kind of find your own oasis to be able to bow hunt back there. And it's just by putting in effort and exploring, you know, a bunch of these spots and finding them. But these spots exist like all over Montana and all over the Western United States. And the just the more I hunt, the more I realize that big deer, they really live in a lot of different spots. And, and not that they're behind every tree or in every basin, but if you put in the work, you know, that they are all across the state in every different unit and every – you know, in, in every different place. And there's just, there's so many good places that 
yet to be discovered, you know, along with the places we do know. It's I just always think it's so great, like all the opportunity that's out there. And there is still great hunting out there, like where we went or where you killed your buck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that was the thing, you know, this last trip, the trip that I killed my buck on, I mean, oh, my gosh, goodness. I mean, we went all over the state. <laughs> I mean, all over the state. And it was like, we saw good bucks everywhere. But it was just, you know, some places there was crusty snow and, and there's just, you know, different challenges to each spot. But it was like, there are, there are just, if you put in the time and you're willing to work for it. Yeah, you're exactly right. There are, there are big animals everywhere. And I mean, they're, like you said, they're not around every bush and every tree, but if you if you're patient and you take your time, yeah, they're I think I think you're spot on. I think they're just they're they're every spot throughout, you know, whether our state, the other states, it's like you just have to put in the time and be willing to uh put on some foot miles and to maybe even some 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 vehicle miles and yeah, to to go find them. So when you strike out here and there, like I know you did a trip, I think it was prior no, it was after we did our trip, uh you went with your brother. And you yeah. backpacked way back into this country that, that looked killer, and you couldn't get in there. The roads were all mudded up, and so you just hiked the roads and did 15 miles. So, you know, you just did what you had to do to get in there, and um, you didn't see a lot of deer numbers, but you found a big buck. But it, you, you found one big buck that you got a stock on that didn't quite work yeah. out, but – you know, just my point is, is that, you know, you have to go to a lot of these places and strike out before you find that money spot that's really good and figure out how that spot works and how the, you know, where the deer prefer to be in there. But I've struck out so much, like I've spent 15 years all across Montana hunting these muleys with my bow during the rut. And so through that, you know, you're able to get some pretty good spots and then continuing to learn and push the envelope and trying to find more. Um, but, but like a high country deer. Hunting in Montana, I probably went to 10 different mountain ranges that didn't work out that I could hardly find a deer before I found that spot that was really good where there was a bunch of bucks summering up there and and during the early bow season. So I think it just takes that explorer's mindset to just keep pushing it, not get caught in a rut. And, and keep going to new spots as well as going to, you know, old spots that are proving grounds. And and that sounds like it, it it's like what you did this year. Like if you were to put a pin on the map at every different spot that you hunted mule deer, you'd have a lot of pins all over the map of Montana, which I just think is great, Dylan. Like that's the skill set is being able to find new spots, being able to develop it, and being able to soak up a, a loss, like being able to spend a whole weekend and go, well, that didn't pan out. I didn't find a big buck or I didn't find deer, but, you know, you, you do that enough times and eventually you run into a really good spot, it seems. Yeah, and, and like it, you just have to cross off. I mean, I think of it as cross off as many places as, as, as you can. You know, it's like because eventually you're going to find one. And it is so rewarding to then, you know, going into a brand new piece of country. And it's like, then it's so rewarding when you lay your glass on, on a big old mature deer, it's like, I did it. You know, I found it. I mean, granted you haven't killed him yet, but it is so rewarding to be like, yes, this is the spot you look around. There's hardly anyone around. And it's like, I found him. And it's almost, I enjoy the process of crossing off different spots because it's like the, the amount of country you get to see is, is incredible. Number one. And then number two, it's like, you're hunting, you're, you've got to hunt 
muley type country, you know, and so you're always looking at this and, and they can live in so many different places that you almost there's there's too much there's too much public land to go look at all of it. So it's like you've gotta find what works best for you. But yeah, crossing off spots and that I mean that's how I ended up being successful this year is I just kept crossing them off. And finally you know, finally it all worked out. So super fun. But, you know, next year it's like got to hit the drawing board again, you know, check out the old spots and that, but just got to get back to it. I know I'm, I'm already tagged out. I had like the most epic late season. God dang it. I know I told you about it. I probably had you on the phone for an hour long podcast that I didn't record uh, just sharing the story, but <laughs> God dang, man, it was just so much action. So fun. And the buck I ended up killing there was actually two bucks that were, you know, working this doe, but my buck was the satellite buck, but he was so heavy and tall, and uh, I, I missed a shot on the sticker buck. Um, I, he reacted to my shot. I really think he turned sideways, you know, where he was almost like – it was almost the butt facing me by the time the arrow got there, and – Man, it just happens with mule deer with a bow and arrow, and especially I was stretching my distance out a bit, and it just gave him time to react, and all those deer were wired onto me, but able to kind of chase that deer for a while, didn't get another chance at him, and and then uh, catch this buck, like, coming through the sage, following that same scent trail as that other buck and doe, and able to make a move and cut him off, and then, you know, it's... It's one thing to get into range. It's another thing to get your shot, which I think you found out on your buck as well. Like uh, you can get into range, but then getting a shot. Like I spent 45 minutes, 27 yards from a great big buck I wanted to kill and never got a shot, you know. And so a lot of times they're just constantly moving. And the buck I killed, I ended up coming to full draw, having a range on and grunted at him. So he would stop because he was never going to stop walking. He was just rutting. But there's a whole nother challenge that comes to getting the shot, not just getting into range. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly how mine worked out too. It was like, God dang, I was in range for two, three minutes. I mean, not as, not as long as you were 45, but it's like, yeah, with that bow, it's like you've got to wait for the right opportunity. And it, and that was the thing, like say that uh, hunt I went on with my brother, <sighs> that buck was a stomper. And we were in bow range for, oh my goodness, yeah, half hour probably. But he was bedded in a tough spot. There was kind of a dead tree behind him. And it was like I just – there was no way if I, if I was – the only way to get a shot was to force it, and I didn't want to force it. And then finally the wind swirled, and like big bucks do, up and out of there. But, yeah, no, and that's uh, – yeah, just getting it, getting into bow range is, you know, tough enough. But then getting the, getting the right shot angle, that's a whole other game in itself. Absolutely. Well, um, dude, I'm just so impressed at uh, your season you had with the Montana Slam. Like uh, the late season is so fun to talk about because we're both so jacked up. And just like you say – like we're both tagged out. You're still helping your wife hunt a little bit, so you're still exploring new country, and I'm on my maps like crazy. Even though I killed a buck and I have good locations, locations like I'm looking at other backpack spots I can get into, other remote stretches where I might find that giant, heavy eight-year-old uh, buck that I'm looking for. You know, so it's so fun to just keep with it. But man, you had a heck of a season with the Montana Slam. So all with your bow, a great late-season muley. Uh, that bull you killed was insane. Your best bull to date, uh, and, and and you killed an antelope too. But that bull, we had done a podcast about spotting and stalking elk, and uh, how effective it was. And and it's one of the more popular podcasts that I did because it was great. Uh, you hunt 
real similar to the way I do, like these spot and stock tactics. And even, you know, like that buck that you mentioned that caught your wind, you didn't force it. You you just take what he gave you and tried to keep that element of surprise. And that works out a lot of the time. And I think you get a lot of your skill set from hunting elk that way as you're a diehard elk hunter. You were going hard all of September, not only for yourself, but for your family and your wife and your brother. And, um, man, you just had an epic elk season. So it was so fun to like record that podcast. And then both me and you killed our best bulls to date using those tactics. Uh, that's pretty wild, man. And, and a day apart too. Oh yeah. No, that was so sweet. I could, I couldn't believe it actually, because it's like, I text you and I was like, dude, big bull down. And then a day later you sent it back to me and I was like, holy smokes. But, uh, yeah, it was wild. And, and you and I've talked about this. It was, it was a tough year, um, up in that country. And so you had to make every opportunity count. And to be completely honest, I mean, I got about one and a half opportunities. I ran out of daylight on one, but, uh, yeah, just using those, those techniques and that spotting and stalking. It's like, and I had to get pretty unconventional, um, with mine stuff, you know, I had to, I mean, I guess I had to, I mean, I carried a bugle tube at three thirty in the morning one time just to try and turn something up because I couldn't find, uh, any elk where elk typically, typically are in that country. I mean, it was just so dry and grazed down and, you know, whether it was the grasshoppers, the cattle or whatever, but yeah, it was pretty killer. You and I both, uh, kill our best bulls today. That was so sweet. Yeah. It, it, um, me and you both killed these giant bulls, but it was a tougher year in that country. Um, you're, you're right. The, the bulls didn't, the, the elk just didn't seem to be where they're normally located and out there, you know, it's not like the mountains where you get in and you can see this elk meadow or these canyons that that you you can almost call where the elk are going to be. Like the country that we're hunting it is more this coolie type country where it's 300 square miles of all good elk habitat. They can be anywhere throughout it. And so you kind of get these spots that you favor that we've learned over the years that consistently – elk are in and then you have to dive in and go check them like you have to go hike in in that country too man you do 10 to 15 miles a day in that country too looking for elk but i was like you where i i went to my first five locations and i had my hawaii buddies with me this year my first 10 locations i was just heat checking all these spots that have been good to me and to tell you the truth i was having a tough time turning up elk like i just wasn't finding them in those locations and so it almost took me adapting and going to some of these spots that I've that I had e scouted that I really wanted to get into, you know. And I killed my bull in a drainage that I had never hunted. I had never stepped foot in there. And um, so I, I think it it made us adapt. And then you mentioned a good point of like we had to seize the opportunities when we got them. We weren't going to get ten different opportunities on bulls this year. They just weren't. It, it wasn't like you, the the grass had dried off and those elk just weren't in that country with numbers. And so really we had to make good on our opportunities. And I know, you know, I did on the bull I shot, located them, hunted them for a couple of days, and you did as well. So you talked about locating them with a bugle tube. Um, so you were actually hunting early mornings in these canyons and you were diving in and you were trying to get a response or find the party or find the bugles so you could then get into those elk. So you were really using the nights to your advantage. Yeah. Yeah. And so like the day that I ended up killing that bull, um, 
it was my it was my first day back and I had had a couple days um, up there earlier in the year and I knew it was going to be tough. Um, I mean, it was a full moon this trip that I was going up and everything. And so I knew they were probably going to be somewhat active at night. So I left camp at, you know, three thirty in the morning and uh, I, I had what was going to be, you know, like a six mile walk um, in the dark. And I got about halfway. And yeah, and I never do this, but for some reason that morning I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to throw this bugle tube in. And, uh, I got halfway down there and I just let out a little scream and these bulls started firing off and they were kind of all around me. And, uh, I was like, all right, you know, like, cool. And, and it wasn't like they were firing off, like, you know, say like in the mountains or whatnot, it was like one here, one there, one there, but they weren't like going off like but you could tell like i finally could tell like hey this bull down here he's a growler i'm gonna go chase this one and uh so i gave it a little bit of time but i was like i could tell he was on the move um because he just made i could hear him making little sounds here and there and so i just got down in the drainage with him and uh i mean i followed him i was probably within side 250 yards of him you know from four o'clock in the morning till sun up and i just totally dogged him all morning uh, and it was just it was so sweet i mean being that close to him you know he had 15 cows and uh it was he was in a deep deep cut so it was like there was no chance of anyone seeing me him the cows it was awesome and he, and he as soon as the sun came up he was quiet so i mean if i wouldn't have found him in the dark early early in the morning I mean, there was no chance. I mean, he never came out until nine o'clock in the morning. And then he strolls out of this drainage, him and all of his cows stroll out of this drainage into the wide open. And I was like, think, dude, I was just thinking to myself, oh my gosh, somebody's going to be glassing off of some high knob and they're going to see 16 elk run across this drainage, but, or this meadow. And, uh, so what do I do? I was like, I have to get up on this ridge and see where they go. And, uh, so he gets up out of there and they, and they, it wasn't, I didn't booger him or anything. I mean, I was inside a bow range all morning, you know, drawn back, you know, letting down, not trying to force anything. I just had that feeling that's like, this is, this is the bull. Like I'm going to kill this bull as long as I'm patient. This is him. And, uh, so I give chase a little bit, get up to this ridge and I see the last cow. For some reason there was one cow falling back and I think it was a yearling calf, uh, going to this big sage flat and they went into, like three drainage systems and i was like all right so i sat there for a while and mind you i'm in my socks i had been in my socks for a mile and a half following these elk up this drainage and uh yeah i left them and i went back to the can or went back to the wall tent and uh because i didn't want to go in and, and i like going in on them but i think i think you and i mentioned this um if i can't put them in their bed I'm not going in after them. I like the evenings when they get up on their feet and they're kind of staging and milling around. Like that's my favorite time to move in on them. And so that afternoon I came back and, uh, it was pretty wicked. I barely get sat down and he's, I don't know. They're, they're probably about six, 700 yards where I thought they were going to be. So I'm just kind of sitting off to the side, like waiting to hear something, see something. And I hear this wimpy little bugle and I figured it was him standing up. And so I get down this big cut, come up and around and sure enough, there he is in all of his glory standing over all of his cows. And long of the short, I get up there. I, (laughs) I vowed earlier in the year to never take my boots off again, but 
there I was sitting on the side of the hill taking my boots off and creeping through the grass and I got up there and I sat inside a bow range of all of his cows the closest cow was 19 yards he was on the other side of them at like 75 83 just kind of milling around and I just knew I was like I had good wind I had a directional in my face thermal coming down so it was like no chance this was swirling like it was a slam dunk but I just knew I was like I'm not going to force it because he's going to come around he's going to hook these cows and he's going to try and take them up to water and sure enough that's exactly what he did he came off of this hillside it is engraved in my mind it'll be until the day I die I mean he came off this hillside neck stretched out just panting hooks his last cow gives just that kind of roundup bugle and I was at full draw and he was 33 yards and I just let it rip and it was oh my gosh yeah he didn't make it. He didn't make it seventy yards, but he did make it out of sight. It was pretty cool. Man, uh, as thrilling as it gets with those giant bulls, and especially like giant six point, your best bull to date. Like way to way to hold those patience. Like it's it's easy in today's day and age. These bows are so effective and efficient, and and they're so accurate. And you can practice way out at these longer yardages, which we do to help further our archery skill. They make the closer shots easier, you know. But when it comes down to it, when you get your chance at a big buck or a big bull, you know. And and I ended up killing the buck I killed the late season buck this year at sixty four, which is a longer shot for me, but. You know, it's a shot I'm 100% confident I can make. But my point is here is that you were patient. You had a longer shot on that bowl, and you waited. So much of this archery game is waiting for the right opportunity. And once you take that shot, it's over. And bows just don't aim as good on a giant, you know, 350-plus <laughs> six-point or bigger, you know. Like, it just doesn't aim the same on them. But you have to make such a precise shot. And so it's not the same as being in flip-flops in the backyard. And if, like, I think I had to learn this lesson, I don't know if you did as well, is these bows will shoot accurately, but if you mess up your opportunity at those longer yardages or you take that as your opportunity, you screw it up and you never end up getting that buck or that bull, or it's really easy to screw up, where if you just keep waiting and playing the game, and you have to be okay with not killing that bull or letting them feed over the ridge, but eventually you create that 33-yard opportunity like you had or that 40-yard opportunity or that – you know, just that really good opportunity that you're 100% confident you can make. And I think that's like the evolution of a bow hunter is really getting that get them in close and kill them mindset or – I'm never going to release an arrow unless it's a perfect arrow. Now, I I just got done telling you about a miss I had on late season mule deer, and I I did have two misses this year. You know, the one was my fault. The one I think the deer jumped my string, but I also had five or six perfect arrows that I released. You know, and I I think it's I think it's just playing that game and really being patient, looking for that right shot to close the deal. Because when you first start bow hunting, it's almost like you want that shot so much that you almost force it. And whether you force a long shot or you force it through sticks and brush and that arrow deflects or, you know, and you almost have to have these growing pains and these these learning experiences. And if you really take them to heart and learn from them, you become better and, and almost a more ethical, effective bow hunter, like just waiting for that right moment. Do you agree? Do you see that in yourself, Dylan? Like as you're getting more patient and more comfortable with being in bow range and really waiting for that right moment? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And 
being comfortable inside a bow range and kind of controlling your emotions. I know when we talked earlier in the year, I, I said my mantra was the last 10 seconds in the last 10 yards. And the only time I didn't stick to that this year is an arrow I wish I could have had back in the high country. You know, I just kind of rushed it. But the if you are patient inside a bow range, you know, that's where I've grown so much this year is inside a bow range. I haven't forced the opportunity as much you know it's like you know yeah there's a couple there's there's always there's always situations where it's going to be like hey this is this is my opportunity i either take it or i don't but in those uh stocks that work out say like that elk or my deer animal whatever it's like if you're patient inside a bow range and let things materialize you're probably gonna get a better opportunity and that is the one thing where I've grown so much this year and you hit it right on the head. It's like you wait and you let it materialize in your patience, 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 patience. And you're going to get that 40 yard shot or you're going to get that 30 yard shot. And if you, you just can't force the, uh, force the opportunity, like let them, let the opportunity materialize into, into what it's going to be. But yeah, you have to be okay with, uh, you know, letting them walk or, or giving chase after they go over the ridge. You know, it's like, that's why I kept telling myself on that bowl. He's standing there and like all morning, you know, he was 70, 65, you know, but it was kind of in between cows, this, that, and the other thing. But I just kept, I was, I was so confident and I just felt like, you know, he's going to go around the next corner. No, they don't know I'm here. They're not going to catch my wind. I'm going to get a better opportunity around the next corner. And, you know, who knows what would have happened if I would have forced it early in the morning, you know, and it's like, yeah, wait, being patient, uh, you can always, well, you can't say always, but a lot of the time you are going to get the opportunity that you are truly looking for to release a perfect arrow. Oh, you're right. I, I love what you said, like, let it materialize. And, and you're right. It doesn't work out every time being patient, but eventually it will. And when you practice those set of hard rules, you know, that you don't break, Eventually, you do get it and place an arrow into that critter, just like you've done on antelope, deer, and elk this year, you know, and, and same thing with me with my bow. It's like in believing in it that you are going to create it, but you have to be comfortable inside that bow range, and you said let it materialize, and a big piece of that is is like uh, working in and keeping that element of surprise, not letting that elk know that you're hunting them, not letting the herd know that you're hunting them, because once they're on high alert, mule deer, anything, once they're looking in your direction, like like it, it's just a means to the end. The game's almost over. Like you may get a chance at him, you know, as he's trying to spook, or he may stop and look back, or you may be able to capitalize on something. But for the most part, once they know you're there the gig's up, you're on borrowed time. And so, like, if you can just, like, keep that element of surprise and and work and get comfortable with bow range, so, like, what you're talking about with those elk is the same attitude that I have and really trying to to look and decide when it's time to go all in and be aggressive and move in and not trying to just crawl through the grass where they can see me and pick me up and the game's over and also getting comfortable moving with elk. And so elk go around the corner and then you have to go around the corner or over that ridge and then you have to find them again before they find you. You know, we talked about ridgeline assault on muleys and coming back over the top, but you have to get really comfortable with coming over the top and finding them again. And then be okay with letting them work around the 
the corner passing up longer shots to go, okay, they worked around the next corner. Now I'm confident in my skills. I can continue moving with these muleys or these elk, get over the next ridge, and I'll find them again. And I'll keep my element of surprise, and I'll just keep this stock going. And the longer I can keep this stock going and keep in this motion, keep the wind right, and keep all these these uh, the, the all the elements in my favor, like eventually it just pans out. And I think that's the skill to it or the art to it. It is uh, like like the the patience thing is huge. Like you're talking, it, no matter which bow hunt I go on, I could always be better at patience. It's like just waiting for the right opportunity, the right moment. And it's so tough to be still or not make a move. Or to like keep your mind right that he didn't move off. He's still bedded there. Or they're just feeding over the hill. I'll find him again. Like uh, that seems like that's the evolution of a bow hunter. And that's exactly what you're talking about. Is is what I find too. Just more patience, being okay with it. You know, definitely being clutched during those moments or knowing when your opportunity to kill that animal is, but being patient and not forcing a bad angle or in too tight a brush or with too many animals around, or you're just really looking for that right moment. And if you are patient, a lot of times you can find a window to draw your bow when no animals are looking at you, where animals don't even see you draw back and you can settle your pin. That's when I really think you've won the game. <laughs> yeah, yep. And, and that's the thing too is when when those opportunities come about, you know, at those longer ranges and that, it's like that animal probably doesn't know you're there anyways. And so just finish the game, you know. Let him do make his moves and just finish the game. Get in tight because there's nothing worse than 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 throwing an arrow that you know at a longer range that doesn't work out. You miss. You hit a bad whatever. There's nothing worse than that. But there's nothing better than creeping even closer. And letting go of a perfect arrow. I mean, there's just nothing better than that. And then, like, this year, you know, my very first hunt of the year in Nevada, you know, I had a big old 180-inch mule deer up on this steep, steep hillside. And, you know, I was so juiced up. I hit first hunt of the year, so juiced up. And he was at a yardage I could I could make or make a good shot at. But it was so steep. And, you know, it's like, how do you practice a 35-degree downhill slope, you know? And it's like, but it was a little bit longer range. And I ended up, you know, missing that deer. And it's like... What would have happened if I would have been just a little more patient? And so I took that. I took that experience, the first one of the year, you know, first high country hunt ever. And it's like, okay, take a step back, check yourself. Now all the, you know, make the rest slam dunks, you know. So, no, pretty cool. But being patient and being comfortable inside a bow range uh, is key. You just got to be feeling dangerous. Man, when, and you really waited for the right opportunities. Like, uh, I'm just thinking about a couple of your shots. Like, you played the game. Your muley was was 20 yards or under. Your 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 bull was 33 yards. Uh, yep. uh, you know, an antelope. You know, they're in open country, and and sometimes you get some longer shots at those. But, um, like, what was your your average distance this year? Uh, well, that antelope was 47. Perfect. <laughs> so, yeah, I was pretty tight to him too. But uh, like say the shot, the shot that I missed in the high country, you know, after all the range got cut, it was 66. But, you know, when I ranged him, it was it was much longer than all these shots that ended up perfect. So it was like that's the that's the takeaway from it, I guess. So, I mean, shoot, my average yardage, you know, 47 to 20. I mean, shoot, I'm right in that. It was right in that 33 yard range, you know, right where my elk was. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's just though there's nothing better than when you hit full draw and you're at one of those yardages and you just know, like if I execute the way that I know I should, 
it, the, the game is over. I just execute, execute, execute. And, uh, you know, in those antelope, that's the thing too, is like, it, it's always, you know, they're in open country and all that, but you can still get inside of 60 yards of those antelope. And a lot of the antelope that I kill are, I mean, shoot, I think I only have one antelope that's over 60 yards and it's just waiting for the right opportunity. Yeah, ditto. Like even uh, the majority of my kills seem to come in between that 30 to 50 or, or maybe even that 40 to 60 range, you know, that seems to be just the spot. And usually I get in that tight and I'm so 100% confident that I don't yep. need to get any closer. And, and sometimes it works out where you end up getting a 20 yard or a 30 yard. But I also know, you know, you mentioned a good point of executing like those 30 to 50 yarders, even 20 to 40, whatever it is, those are not gimme shots. You cannot go on autopilot for those shots. You cannot force off your shot because you'll you'll end up missing like you can't. The game isn't done yet. You have to execute a good shot. And it's easy to feel like, you know, a 30 yard shot is a real easy shot when we practice all the time routinely at these longer distances and are dialed. It feels like 30 yards is almost a gimme. But it, but you still have to execute a good shot. And something I've learned over the years is you just, even those close ones don't take for for granted. And and I mean, one of my misses this year was on a mule deer off a cliff at 20 yards, you know. And I too overconfident, and I tried to. He tried to spin, and I tried to force that arrow off. And it was a, you know, it it wasn't a conscious decision, and I beat myself up over it for sure. But you know, one of my misses was at 20 yards because it was. You know, not too easy of a shot because I didn't execute properly. Like even on those close shots, you have to keep that right mindset. You still have to be so clutch in those moments. Yeah, yeah, and and like you said earlier, it's like we shoot all the time and at these extended yards. I mean, I shoot every day. You know, hundred, hundred twenty yards. And the one thing though, you know, going into what we're talking about, it's like. Uh, my goal for this year was not to scroll my pins. You know, I, I shoot one of those scroll sites and I didn't want to have to scroll, you know, not that I can't make that, you know, 70 yard shot, whatever, but it's like the shot, the shots that went not my way this year, I scrolled. And it's like, do I feel super comfortable with those longer yard, yardages? Definitely. You know, but it's like, it's always different shooting at something that's alive and big, you know? And so that's kind of my rule of thumb is like, I don't want to have to scroll my site. I mean, I'm a bow hunter. Like I take thrill in getting so close. Now, granted, you know, you always have to give it a little touch when you're at 65, 67, whatever. But yeah, you gotta execute. the The key is to everything, in my opinion, is getting a good range and just execute, 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 and don't take it for granted. Like burn a hole in them as you're as you're finishing. You're just you know pull, 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 and just burn a hole in them. Well, the difference between a good shot and a bad shot is like a second, <laughs> you know, yeah, like two seconds. Yeah. It's like seriously. it's it's no – like the difference for to me from a good shot to a bad shot is honestly like a second. And it's tough when those animals are looking at you or on edge or you feel like this is your moment. It's easy to not take that extra second and settle your pin, but it just never ends good. It's like you say, burn a hole through them, and you're talking about putting your pin right where you want it and holding it there. Like let it aim. Don't just get your pin there and make the shot buck. You want to get it there and hold it there and execute. And if I can hold it there and execute, they're dead every time. And 
you know, yep. even the buck I missed this late season that, you know, I'm sure jumped my string because he, you know, he, he didn't jump not like a whitetail where they duck and the arrow hits him high. It's it's almost like muleys will just turn or react to the sound of the bow and start to get out of there. And he turned back around to follow the doe and turned his butt totally at me by the time the arrow got there. But, you know, like I told you, it was a longer shot. And maybe if I would have waited and got him a little bit closer or made another move or continued playing the game, he wouldn't have been able to jump my string at 40, you know. And so yep. right, right there, it's like take something from that and learn. Like, God, get him close and kill him, you know. Um, but but the next shot was almost, you know, 64 right in there. And I just feel so 100% confident. And that was the, you know, I'm in a big open sage flat. And even though you can get closer in open country, sometimes that's – you know, that's where my opportunity came this year. And so it's it's hard. I, I am arguing like both sides of the fence. Um, but <laughs> but also 64 is not an extremely long shot for me. It's like once I get him inside 60, you know, I feel 100 percent confident I can make that shot. So, you know, I actually feel like that's inside, you know, my makeable range. But just making the point that if that buck was closer, that first sticker buck, he probably wouldn't have got out of the way of that arrow. Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, like you said, too, it's. You know these these little these because because as as we evolve as bow hunters it's like the mistakes usually aren't as great you know the they're not like major mistakes but you have to take all these smaller mistakes you know like say say my rushing the shot early in the season or this or that it's like if you're not taking that to heart and you know taking it on the um, writing it down be like this I've got to be better at this I can't make this mistake again it's like you're not evolving and you're not getting better and it was like if there's one thing I'd take away from this whole season it was like every time I made a mistake I never made it again and you know down the road I'm going to make hundreds more mistakes I'm sure but it's like I literally took them to heart and I was like I am not going to do that again and I'm going to be better like I literally my my skill as a bow hunter this year grew tremendously tenfold granted because i hunted throughout the whole season with my bow and it was just like i broke everything down you know i didn't overthink things but it was like when the hunt was over and i got home and i was sitting there i was thinking you know i would always just reflect and on when i would reflect then i'd just be like okay i gotta be better and so now it's like take all those things and move forward and now it's like next year these are things I am not going to, I'm going to do this and I'm going to be 10 times better because as soon as the clock hits 2021, you know, it's back to zeros and you got to be better. Man, I, well, I think that's why you're so good at, at bow hunting is that, that constant evolution, you know, like thinking through it and it's a fine line, right? Between when you make a mistake, beating yourself up over it and then only thinking about that you know, or like thinking about it and thinking how you can be better and how you can improve, improve, and then moving on. Like it, it's a fine line there between you know recognizing and accepting your 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 losses or your mistakes and and getting better, but but also not just dwelling on them and beating yourself up over it and then letting it ruin your season as well. You know, like you. You know, like your early season mule deer, there was a lot of season left. You missed them, and it's like, okay, I got to be better. I got to not scroll, or I got to uh, uh, execute my shot better, you know, not rush it, you know, whatever the case is. Um, yep. But, yeah, bow hunting, it's such a tough challenge. It seems like um, it, even once you're proficient at it, it'll still – it can humble you around every corner. And no matter how good you get at it, 
it's it's so difficult and challenging and every situation is different that that just like you said you're going to continue to make mistakes there's like there's a, a going to continue to get better and evolve that's just the way this bow hunting is and you have to be okay with that and and get pretty tough skin but but also you know accept it and try to try to improve from it and get better so i i think you nailed it this season <laughs> thanks man i appreciate it yeah no that, those are things i love i mean bow hunting fly fishing stuff that you can truly never master like you're always going to be learning and uh yeah that's what i absolutely love about bow hunting it's like you want to master it you want to be absolutely perfect but it's like you're always going to be learning there's no way to be perfect like you're always going to be learning and that's what i love about it when um I, I love like uh, being clutch in moments, and I know you take a lot of pride in that too. And whether that's fly fishing or whether that's bow hunting, um, and, and I I like compare it a lot because you played baseball for years and played college ball, and and you lived, eat, slept, and breathed uh, baseball for a lot of your life. And so much of baseball is being like clutch in those moments, like high pressure moments where you have to perform. And batting averages. You know, you're never going to be a thousand percent. You know, you're going to be uh, uh, batting 300 is a good year, you know. And so, like, yep. just being clutch one third of the time. But how much do you relate being clutch or playing baseball to, like, the bow hunting world? Uh, my whole life, that is the one thing that I've truly just loved was I always wanted to be the guy up in the bottom of the ninth or as the clock's winding down, I wanted to have the basketball in my hand. Like, I wanted that 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 wanted that all on me and so it, in bow, bow hunting is absolutely i mean perfect because it is in your hands like when it is time to be clutch it is in your hands and you have to have your stuff together and you have to be clutch there's no way around it like you're exposed it's just you like you can't blame it on anybody else it's it's just you and so yeah from sports i mean yeah a lot of my life i you know played sports and basketball baseball and that is the one thing that i have totally relished my entire life was being clutch because it's like you're either the guy who hits it out of the park you know gets a game winning hit or you know makes a three-point bucket as the time expires and you win the game and same with bohan it's like you're either the guy that ranges them at 55 yards and pinwheels them or you're not and so being clutch is oh it's it's everything in my, in my book. I, I, there's nothing more, you know, I think that's why you and I get along so well. And, you know, a couple of my other buddies, it's like, I love dudes who are clutch. And when all the pressure is on and all the eggs are in the basket, it's like, yep, that guy's going to do it. Oh, you're so right. Yeah. I forgot. Uh, yeah. Your basketball career as well. Just a three point shooter, but yeah, just being clutch like, um, and, and it doesn't, you know, you, you want to be really good in those moments and we pride ourselves on that, but even that still, it's such a challenging game that, you know, like a three pointer, they don't all go in. You, you end up missing them and you don't hit the game winner and then you have to pick yourself up again. I think bow hunting too, like it's being clutch. Um, but I don't know that that's 1000%. I think you do the absolute best you can and you be clutch with your opportunities. And I hope someday to, to reach that hundred percent or thousand percent or however, <laughs> you, but you know, the, the truth of the matter is, is like, you know, I had a couple shots that I missed this season, but I also had six great arrows, you know, or whatever the case is. Um, but, but I love that too. I love it with all the pressure on, uh, trying to hit the game winner, trying to, uh, 
hit that shot, like you said, range him at 55 and putting one right through the center of his lungs. There's just no feeling like it. I just, I think it's so cool how, um, you know, those skills have transposed from your sports world to, to bow hunting. And I think it's a reason why, you know, you've progressed so quickly at it and seen so much success on giant critters is um, just being clutch in those moments with the opportunities you get, um, you know, really making it count. And, and really what it comes down to is there's a lot of guys that found big bulls this season, but you found that big bull and you tailed them and you let, never let them know you're there. Like we get these opportunities at these animals and then it's what you make of it. And you could have just as well had the same story about this big bull you found and you got in there and the wind wasn't right and he winded you and busted out. Or you got in there and gosh, he saw you at 70 and never gave you a shot right there. That could have very well been the end of the story. But but like you're the you're the own director in your movie or like you're the only, you get to make those choices that come together that give you an opportunity at a trophy level critter. And it's so difficult to get it all right. But it seems like when you dedicate yourself and and uh, you're clutching moments like you get this opportunity at this big bull or like your buck and you just make the right moves and it ends up working out and you arrow that critter. I think that's the definition of being clutch. And that's why I think bow hunting rewards being clutch, you know, and, and that's what I love about it. And I think, you know, it's the same thing, fly fishing, trying to make a cast or set the hook on a big brown, whatever. I just love these endeavors where you get these moments in time and they're fractions of seconds where you get the chance to be great, you know, And, and that's what I love about bow hunting. Oh yeah. Yep. Those moments that you get the chance to be great. And and the thing is too, is everybody, like we're saying, and to go away from sports, but everybody wants the glory of taking the last shot or being not two outs in the bottom of the ninth or having that shot at 55 yards. Everybody wants that. But what happens with the time when you airball it? You know, what happens the time you whiff him? You know, when you just make a bad shot, you just whiff, you know, you find out if you're a dude or not, if you want it again, you know, and you get back up, you dust yourself off, and then you go find another one, you know, and that's like beginning of the year, how that happened to me. It's like, God, I wanted another opportunity so bad, so bad. And it's like, because you know you can do it, all the preparation, all the time. And it's like, how bad do you want it? And like with my bull, antelope, and deer, it's like, you know, here's the, the, the reality of it is, is I didn't have very many opportunities this year on big critters but it's like the ones that i did i just had to make them i had to make them count you know like we said it was a tough year elk hunting up there you know mule deer you know i got two stocks three stocks uh antelope i got a couple you know and it's like you just have to make it count yeah have to make it count it's um it's it's what's so fun about this endeavor, like uh, uh, trying to be clutch. And I like what you said, like about dusting yourself off, because failure is a prerequisite of bow hunting, and it doesn't have to be a failed shot, or it can just be a failed stock. Like uh, a lot of times, these these critters are gonna beat you. But yeah, it's like how you pick yourself up. Like uh, so much of this conversation is talked about patience and and being clutch. You know, it's also about persistence. Like you said, dusting yourself off and picking yourself up and going, no, I can do this. I can want it. And you have to want the ball at the end of the game, too. You have to want that opportunity at that animal and believe you can close the deal. And I just need to create this opportunity. And I know if I keep going, I will create it. But, you know, our our late season hunts for mule deer, those were not 
two-day missions. Those were not three-day missions, five-day hunts. Like I think both uh, you and I had over 10 days into our late mule deer season trying to yeah. create that opportunity, that right encounter. And, and, and through – like I think uh, an equal part of the equation to being clutch and to uh, making good on these opportunities is being w- able or willing to go put forth the effort to create these opportunities, to continually grind and push and fail. And, and you know a lot of the season, nobody's there for. It's just you by yourself or you with a buddy, but just grinding out, trying to create this opportunity you know that, that really – you know, you don't even know if it'll come. You just have this belief that I will create it. I will find a running buck. I will find one that I want, and, and then I'm going to be able to close. And this inner belief, this persistence, plays such a huge role in it. And I, I think equally as your clutch, and um, you know, I I think your persistence is a huge part. It's like every time I talk to you, you are going out or have plans to go out. That's such a major piece to the puzzle. Yeah, I love the grind, and that's the one thing that throughout life that you just have to learn to love if you want to be truly successful is you – I feel like you've got to learn to love the grind. And, yeah, I mean, shoot, like you said, 10 days in the late season. You know, I think I spent 10, 12 days elk hunting, you know, all for one or two opportunities. But it's like the process, loving the process, loving the grind, having the persistence to just keep going, like go over the next ridge. Like, okay, gosh, that is steep. Uh, got to go down it, got to go up it. He's going to be over there. You know, loving the grind, being persistent. I think that is the prerequisite to getting an opportunity. That's, that's, that's the, that's what's going to get you that opportunity. If you don't love the grind, if you're not persistent, if opportunities are going to be hard to come by and uh, then then you got to rely on being clutch when you do create that opportunity because you have to a guy's got to create them you have to create them they're not I mean I always joke around and you know I joke with you joke with my buddy Trev my brother it's like God why aren't we ever the guys who get lucky well it's because the story wouldn't be right if we got lucky you know it's like then yeah there's a little luck every once in a while but it's like I want to put in the work. I want to grind it out because that makes the story that much better. It makes success that much sweeter. And then you can always fall back and be like, Oh, remember that one time we had to pack out your bull, you know, six miles and beat the rainstorm. Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. This is going to be nothing. So no, that was your brother's bull. He arrowed a good one, right? You guys barely beat the mud storm. (laughs) Yeah. Jared arrowed this big old gnarly heavy bull way way in this bottom and you can just see these rain clouds coming and uh i made it up there i mean i wish i could have made it sooner but we got down there we're basically me my wife my brother we're all jogging down there to get this bull and to get it out and so it's like we loaded up some ridiculous packs and i mean by the time we got him out of there (laughs) we barely barely made it out of there. I mean, 10 minutes later and who knows how long we would have been stuck for, but yeah, it's, you know, it's like, you know, uh, stuff like that, that makes you realize like, Hey, down the road, it's like, Oh, we can do this. You know, we can do this, but no, pretty, pretty killer. He, uh, he was stoked and yeah. Yeah. It just makes you push past what you think is possible. I mean, 
gosh, he, him and I had half an elk on our back each, and it was like I wouldn't recommend it, and I would never really want to do it again. But it's like, hey, it's possible. So, well, and, uh, keeping a positive attitude too, like um, through all the bumps in the road, you know, you've mentioned enjoying the process a couple times, and you do. You have to like the fun isn't like killing a big buck and then relishing in your success like that you know it feels really good it feels really good to accomplish your goals but really the fun is the journey the fun is those 10 11 days we had into hunting and during the grind and it's easy on these hunts like you always have a positive attitude and even when we were hunting together you know it would have been easy to just call it at the first couple drainages or the first three drainages and go oh there's there's no big bucks in here you know we haven't turned up because it it took quite a few days before we turned up one of those giant next level bucks it would have been easy to go oh there there's not any big ones in here let's go kill that four point over there that three point but it's just yeah. like keeping that positive attitude and and keeping that persistence to keep looking for them and and it's not it's not written that you're gonna find them but eventually it's just like effort pays off and you talked about the luck like you almost stop believing in luck like you almost believe that if I work hard enough, I'm going to find where these animals live. I'm going to turn them up through my diligent glassing, my vantage points. Like there's a, all these skill sets that are built into it. And not that I don't believe in luck, but I just – I believe you create your own luck through effort. Like you create your own opportunities, and then it's the moves you make that dictate whether or not you get an opportunity at that animal. Like – to me, in my mind, there's no luck that has anything to do with it. I mean, hardly ever. You know, they can walk <laughs> yeah. into you or they can definitely read the script yeah. or not. And you do, yeah. you know, it's catching some of those lucky breaks, but it's also like capitalizing on those opportunities, putting yourself in the right places at the right time and not giving yourself away and then being clutch on your shot. Like, what does luck have to do with that? You know, kind of the way I think about it anyways. And it seems like you you think about it the same way. Yeah, the exact same way. It's like that deer this year. Yeah, he walked into 20 yards, but it's like I put myself there. Like I put myself there because I had a good idea that that's what he was going to do. Like I just felt like that's what he was going to do. And it was like, you know, somebody could say that's lucky. And, I mean, the footage of that deer is unreal. But it's like, yeah, you could say, oh, it's lucky he walked into 20 yards. It's like, no, no, no. Like you don't understand. I sat on him for three hours. Like we we got into position. Like we were there. Like yeah, did he read the script? Yeah, he read the script. But it was like we were in that spot, like put ourselves in that spot on purpose to give ourselves a good opportunity, and it worked out. You know, it's like, yeah, it was awesome. But going back to what you said too about enjoying the journey, it's like, you know, everything about this year, it's like, yes, you love those moments when you're successful. But some of my fondest memories and my best memories of this entire year is, you know, just you and I laughing, you know, camping, you know, or, or camping with my wife, Elkut. And it's like all those memories along the way, the stories along the way. I mean, the being successful is a major part, but it's almost if you're not enjoying the, the process and in the journey, it's like you're missing out on so much. You know, it's like hiking hiking way back in there the first couple weekends when me and my buddy trev said hey we are not going to the breaks because it's no good we're doing this doing that and it's like we're not going in there well him and i go in there and bomb in there nine miles you know and it's like it was terrible but it's like those were those were fun times you know packing 12 liters of water on your back it's like holy smokes but yeah enjoying the process is so huge and creating yes i am a just the biggest believer in you create your own quote unquote luck. You know, you create it through hard work, persistence, and believing. Oh, you're spot on. Yeah. Uh, 
Well, gosh, we're like two peas in a pod. I just agree with everything you say, Dylan. <laughs> you're just a you're you're a heck of a good bow hunter. I really enjoy hanging out with you, and I really enjoy your insight into bow hunting. Um, man, it's just a great conversation. Yeah, Brian, thanks for having me on. It's always a good time talking, and gal, yeah, can't wait till uh, can't wait till we hook up again and get to go do something fun. So. Yeah. Oh, it's Thanks coming soon, me. right? Yeah. Got to go do some fishing or something, or uh, we'll. Uh, I think our hunting's just about over for the year. Uh, might do something after January first. I got that one tag left, but uh, yeah, let's get out and go do something fun, man. And uh, I just appreciate yeah. you. So thanks a bunch for being on again. Yeah, you bet. Appreciate you too, man. Okay. All right, guys. That's a wrap. Man, it's just um fun getting together with Dylan and and talking over hunting season. Um. Gosh, he's he's such a a good human being and and such a go getter. Uh, you know, he's just willed himself into being consistently successful on giant bulls, bucks, antelope. Um, and I just admire it so much, and I know how much hard work it takes. And, and then, you know, being able to be clutch in those moments. Um, you know, it it it's way easier said than done. So much respect to Dylan and thanks for him. Thanks to him for coming back on the podcast. I really appreciate him. Uh, I get to uh, I'm going to get together with Dylan tomorrow and go do some fly fishing. I got to run over to the Eastman's office and some good rivers on the way. So I'll leave here about 530 or six and uh, connect with Dylan and we'll do a little wintertime fly fishing. We we got it like a week ago or so and did really well on this system. So pumped to get back over there and go give it a try. It'll be fun. But that's a wrap on the podcast. Um, thanks again to Everly Stock for those packs to give away, for the promo code for you guys, the Grid 20 And you can save 20% on everything at Everly Stock there. That new Vapor Series pack, it's going to have the mainframe, the 2,500 cubic inch, the 5,000, and the 7,500 that'll all connect to that frame. Should be an awesome setup. I'm really excited to get mine as well. So uh, make sure to check out Everly Stock, and we sure appreciate their support. And with that, that's a wrap. Yeah, head over to the Eastman's office. We're going to record some podcasts over there. We'll get Guy on there. Uh, connect with Dan Picar. Uh, he always has great podcasts and um, connect with those guys and kind of discuss everything going on at Eastman. So uh, should be a good time. I always really enjoy those guys. So we'll head over there. Um, as far as hunting, man, that's a wrap on season. Uh, what a fun last trip down in the desert. And uh, now it's just uh, tag research, putting in the work. Uh, man, I'm hungry for 2021. So getting in a lot of miles, a lot of shooting. And um, just getting ready for these spring seasons. I'm, um, I'm hoping I can make a an, an odd ad trip here in the spring. Had one planned for last year, and it kind of fell through with COVID. So I'm definitely not going to let COVID stop me this year. So hopefully we can get down there, make that hunt happen. And then I always have spring bear coming up, which I'm extremely excited about. So putting in the map research there and then just trying to Uh, get my applications in in all these states and give myself a chance at drawing some of these good tags and see what hunts I can put together for 2021. Uh, We're so fortunate to to be able to take advantage of these these wild places in these other states. So I just absolutely love the entire process. So uh, it's good getting back to my cold weather runs and um, getting back to my training and uh, looking forward to to, to the 2021 seasons and uh, 
the adventures it brings. So I know you guys are too. That's why you're listening to this podcast. And I just can't tell you how much I appreciate the support of this podcast, uh, the downloads, the reviews, uh, follow on social media, the comments, the shares on social media just means the world to me that I can, you know, start this little podcast at a, out of my basement in Ennis, Montana and, uh, have you guys listen in and, um, help make, you know, have a small part in your success and, and, um, hopefully bring you some some insight and tactics uh, to be able to hunt you know these public lands for trophy sized critters so I really enjoy doing it it's like a dream for me so appreciate you guys and uh, with that we'll check in with you next week